This is the St. Longinus is Baptism Podcast Channel. This is episode number 68. To not be a modernist is to live your faith. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. So, as the last episode, this one, this episode could also be aimed at um, actual true Catholics or set of or neo-trads or neo-Catholics who, who think that they're based in red pill because they'd like to go to a monarchy and go back to a feudal government or whatever. A lot of people in today's society, unfortunately, and by the way, I forgot to, well, it wasn't really necessary in the last episode, so I'm going to give this disclaimer um, I've often, I am still struggling with, um, the errors of modernism in my own life as well, not just, you know, my physical life, but in my spiritual life as well. So, don't get it twisted and think that this is me jumping up on a soapbox and waving a finger in your face. It isn't. But a lot of people in today's present era, not everybody, but a lot, only look at the outside. They only look at the surface. I've said this ad nauseum. But... Especially on the internet, the word modernist gets tossed around by neo-Catholics, neo-trads, and actual set of a contest. Like the word, if you're online in England, cozy. Or, uh, what's the other word? Uh, wholesome. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes. If you're, in, if you're on English internet, it gets tossed around like the word cozy and wholesome. A lot of the people tossing around this accusation have no idea what they're talking about. And I suspect that there are members... I want to tread carefully here because with set of a contest, they they tend to hold their prelates and their priests up on a pedestal, not realizing that they're human beings just like they are, and they're not infallible, that they can fall into error. But not with all of them. 
because we're all individuals, of course. And that's another disclaimer I want to make. This is not a broad brush. This is, this is a generalization. I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying a lot. And not all, when I say not all the clergy and the prelates don't understand, that's exactly what I mean. Some of them probably do, and some of them probably don't. What the term modernist actually means. Now, it's very easy to fall into the trap of reading Pope Pius X's encyclical. I believe it was Pope uh, Saint. Sorry, sorry, Saint Pius X. I'm very sorry. Did not mean to not give you the respect you deserve. Saint Pope Pius X's encyclical on modernism. Um, I'm pretty sure it was St. Pope Pius X. If it wasn't, it might have been Leo XIII, Pope Leo XIII. But in any regard, a lot of people get caught up in the, the outward appearance of what the document reads. And Basically, it's decrying the political phenomena, which I never get tired of saying, is actually a Masonic, Masonic phenomena of American liberalism or French liberalism. Well, just call it Masonic liberalism. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. And, you know, they think because they follow the one true Catholic Church that somehow or another that this exempts them from uh, the heirs of modernism. And as I never get tired of saying, anyone born between the Protestant revolt, I, I know I normally say the 1700s, I'm going to go so far as to say the 1500s, the Protestant revolt, and now is a modernist in one form or another. I'll have to like it, but we are a product of our age. You know, if you're, if you're European and you're um, American, North American, well, American in general, I don't care if it's North, Central, or South America, we are, we are infected with the heresy of modernism because it, it, it uh, permeates our culture. And I would be so bold as to say that if you, let's just say your parents were hardcore set of accountants and raised you that way and the first thing you did out of high school was join a monastery you would still be a modernist in one form or another probably not as bad as I am but you would still have modern ways of thinking modern ways of expressing yourself and the same handicaps and faults that every modernist does another thing that a lot of people get hung up on is they think that political liberalism and 
political conservatism is somehow or another separate. No. No. Um, as I said in an earlier episode, at first I disagreed with Michael Malice. He's right, but for the wrong reasons, because I'm pretty sure he's an atheist. Conservatism is liberalism driving the speed limit. In other words, the conservatives are the guys who basically agree with the liberals, but they think that the liberals want to go too far too fast. And while we're on the topic of the subject, the reason, the absolute... I don't care what kind of reaction this gets. I don't care. I don't care. I, I, will, I will state this until, you know, I'm going before my personal judgment, before the Lord Jesus Christ. I have heard prelates and priests, side of a contest, who refer to theological positions as conservative and liberal. This is modernism. I don't care what you think. It is modernism. Theological, there's only one theological term that applies to a correct position on theology, and that is orthodoxy. Now, for those of you who want to get hung up on this, I just want to point out to you, if you've ever heard of C.K. Chesterton, the famous English Catholic apologist from the 1920s, he did not entitle the name of his book Conservatism. He entitled it Orthodoxy. So you are either orthodox or you are unorthodox. You are not liberal and conservative. You know, spurg out, rant and rave, do all that you want to do. That is the fact of the matter. But this is why I'm talking about a modernist mindset. Because as I said in a previous episode, I have... Now, obviously, I don't have time to read every Catholic book between written between the 1500s and the, the tw uh, 21st century. Or I'll, 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 yeah, the 20th century. And it would probably take me five, maybe ten lifetimes, and I probably still wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but that's part of the modernist. That's why I say some of our priests and prelates, no matter how um, orthodox they are theologically, they're born in the time that they live in. And, and at this point, I got to say, Modernism is the default setting for all of society since the Protestant Revolt. So, the degree of modernist you are is, is just that. It's a degree. And because we're all individuals, it depends on you as a person. 
But we are all modernists. Now, as I said earlier, a lot of people get hung up on the papal, the papal encyclical on modernism. Once again, I'm not sure if it was St. Uh, Pope Pius X or uh, Pope Leo XIII. It really doesn't matter for the terms of this topic. But they get, they get hung up on you know, thinking that being a progressive means that you're a modernist. And um, if you're new to this, this channel, I state ad nauseum throughout this podcast that you don't need to be a 300-pound, tatted-up, um, pierced, progressive to be a modernist. You could be... Um, you could long for the days of King Arthur and the Round Table and still be a modernist. Now... Like I said, because everyone's an individual, if you're the type of person that would like to go back to the Middle Ages, but you can't because that's an impossibility, I would say you're less of a modernist than the person that I described earlier, but you're still a modernist to a degree. And while I'm on the topic of modernism, a lot of people get it twisted. And this is sentimentality. I also, like I said, everything on this podcast is interconnected in one way or the other. But a lot of people get the concept twisted. That, oh, if we just lived in the 1950s. Oh, if we just lived when there was a monarchy. Oh, if we just... We don't. I mean, now, there are certain prelates who were, you know, children in the 50s. But I'm willing to bet the majority of us are Xers, Xers, Millennials, Zoomers, and some Alphas. So, you can't turn back the clock. We are born in this era for a reason. Once again, I will refer you to, whether you like it or not, God's divine will or divine providence, providence, whichever you care to refer to it as. We are here for, the, for, for a purpose. And no amount of, of nostalgia or sentimentality is going to change that fact. So... This is going to lead into what uh, the topic of my um, episode. If you are living your faith sincerely and zealously, now. I don't want anyone to get this twisted. It's more than having the right theology. It's more than understanding Catholic Church history. It's more than understanding how canon law works or 
for that matter, canon law. It's more than apologetics. I would make so bold as to claim if more people lived their faith sincerely and zealously, then number one, I don't think, and I'm not trying to guess God's will here, I'm not, but I, I would suspect the, serious, uh, the, the, the time we are living in would be a little less serious than it is now. And... I would also suspect that um, we would we would be converting people. You know, now I do realize that some of my episodes are apologetics, but I'm at I think at last count around 140. The majority, I would say, probably 90% of my episodes are the practical applications of getting, getting into the right spiritual state and getting into the right church. And, uh, and the apologetics is just basically a primer to, to get people to think if you've seen this, do you find anything wrong with this? If you do, here are my suggestions. And for the set of the contests out there, as long as we're on the, the uh, topic of apologetics, and, and by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this recently or not, but I have mentioned in one of my episodes, Father Bernard Utley, in his Spiritual Life podcast, talks about how um, most Sedevacantists use their history, what little knowledge of the Bible, the saints saying, the saints' teachings, as apologetics to bash the other side over the head and don't look at these things on, gee, how can I apply this to my life? Which, if you're serious about your faith, is your, what your starting attitude should be. But also, too, and I owe this to one of my favorite podcasters. Um, he's the uh, set of a contest. He mentioned how there, there's this, I guess, neo-trad apologist um, in the Vatican II sect who keeps leading people into air. And she says that she won't deal with set of a contism or set of contests because they are a-holes online. Having dealt with set of contests online, both as a semi-pagan and as a person actually trying to practice my faith, and by the way, she's not the only one who's made mention of this. 
a lot of you are driving away the very people you're trying to convert. Now, having said that, anybody who's a regular listener would say, well, you're being hypocritical because you've gone at the the neo-traditionalists in the Vatican II set hammer and tongs. And I'm not going to lie you know, I mean, lying would do me no good anyway. God knows all. That is absolutely true. I have. However, I would make this disclaimer. The disclaimer is, is that, number one, I do not make personal attacks. Now, I have called out neo-Catholic and uh, neo-trad apologists by name. The only reason I've done that is because these guys have gone out publicly and besmirched Sedevacantis in the most horrible of terms. I've, I've read and I've heard what they've said. And like I said, this is not, believe me, this is not an excuse I hold myself responsible for this reaction. I'm not a saint yet, and when they do this sort of thing, I don't feel charity for them if they can't show us the same respect. Now, if I grew more in charity, if I grew more in um, in humility, I probably could do this. But right now, that's not where I'm at. Once again, this is not an excuse. But I don't see the need to talk about what I'm working on spiritually. That's not what this is all about. This is to get, to do the God's will as I understand it, as best as I can. But I can attest that a lot of Sedvacantists online, as I said, my church where I'm living right now, is very small and they're the only real life set of a contest that I've actually had dealings with and as near as I can tell these people are very um, sincere and humble um, true Catholics trying to practice their faith as best as they can given their life circumstances. But, you know, you said of a contest, you know, online, and I'm not saying everybody online who said of a contest is this way, but there is a segment that they act no better. They literally act no better. And I should know I was a semi-pagan online for a lot of years. They act no better than their counterparts. They act no better than some of their worldly Vatican II and Neotrad counterparts. But as I said, I think it was in my last episode, I can cut the Vatican II sect members more slack because they, a lot of them have been brought up in that 
Frankenstein monster that is trying to be passed off as the true Catholic religion, and they are literally in ignorance. And that should be everybody's spiritual principle is that if... And I'm not talking about the political realm because to me, politics does not matter. It's a distraction. To me, the spiritual realm is all that counts. Anybody who is not trying to get into the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church is in ignorance. Now... With the uh, with the neotrad with the neotrad apologists, I could cut them a lot more slack if they were more charitable in their disagreements with us. I could say, well, they're at least of goodwill, and. They're just ignorant. Having seen a lot of the Neotred um, apologists, um, judging by what they say and their actions, I honestly believe that a lot of them, and once again, I'm not... I'm not saying the state of their soul and I'm not trying to say the state of their mind. I'm going by what they're saying and how they're acting. It appears to me that these guys have a personal reason to attack Sedevacantism so hard. That they have a, a personal reason now because I'm, I'm trying not to use rash judgment, I'm not, I'm not going to venture to say why. What I would say is, is that on, on, on the very basis alone that if the Neotrads really were concerned with being orthodox in their belief, two things. Number one, why would they attack Sedvacantists who are pre-Vatican II Catholics? And as I said in an earlier episode, your own apologists have said that the pre-Vatican II Church and the Vatican II Church are linked within themselves. So if they're linked, why are you criticizing people who choose not to recognize Vatican II, especially when it is on videotape of Vatican II prelates saying, well, we want to be more democratic. In my mind, that's, that's verbal proof that we're just exercising our democratic option of not recognizing them because we think they are an error. But number two, and I've noticed this throughout the years, they are harder on Sedevacantists than they are on actual heretics and pagans. They, they, they're very friendly toward the Hindu, the Buddhist, the, uh, um, the Muslim, the Jewish person. And 
they're very friendly towards the Protestant and the Eastern Orthodox schismatics. But when any of these guys talks about Sedvacantism, they kind of remind me of the old World War II German propaganda reels where Hitler would practically be foaming at the mouth at his podium, pounding on the podium, acting like a man insane. Or for, for, those, for you younger types, they act, they act the way a hardcore leftist progressive would act when anybody is to the right of Mao Zedong, the Chinese dictator, communist dictator, when they're talking about those people. These people remind me of unhinged people. And like I said, I give all the credit in the world to Norvis Ordo Watch because they document it's one, well, he runs the website, but he has helpers, but he documents and does podcasts of the heirs and heresies of Vatican II, and he also documents their apologists. I could not do that. I could not do that and keep my charity. As it is, I kind of, no offense, uh, Norvis Ordo Watch, I kind of have to avoid them because every time that I watch one of these LARPing grifters run their stupid soup coolers, my first reaction is to do a rant. And the worst part about it is just the Protestant preachers who denounce the Vatican II Catholics, they could be excused for ignorance. Pride too, but ignorance as well. And they, you know, you could tell these guys are ignorant of the Catholic religion because if they actually knew what they were talking about, they'd be more mad at the Sedvacantists, who are actual Catholics, than the Vatican II members. They might even make common cause with these guys as other Protestants have. But it's the same thing with these quote-unquote apologists. When they, they, in some cases, and I'm putting very special emphasis on this word, it appears it appears that they are attempting to obfuscate the issues at hand. That they are not addressing the actual Sedvacantist position, but are literally setting up straw men to be knocked down. 
If they're not actively doing that, now this is not an appearance, this is actual fact, they're totally ignorant of what they're talking about. Now, there's one Vatican II, I'm Neo-Catholic Vatican II sect apologist who's actually a convert from Protestantism. And I did an episode on why, for most Protestants, going over to Vatican II is not that big, big of a leap. But he's been in the Vatican II sect, by his count, between 25 and 30 years, and he's a convert from Protestantism. But he went to the Vatican II College at Steubenville, now, this guy has a degree in theology. Theology from this quote-unquote prestigious Vatican II sect college in theology. And his theological arguments, quite frankly, and... My, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, he's a Presbyterian. These guys are kind of high church. But his theological arguments, because I was a low church Protestant, aren't any more coherent or cohesive or logical than the low church Protestant who runs a blog called... Um, the Catholic Church is the Whore of Babylon by, by Brother uh, Jobah. His, his theological arguments are no more coherent and no more logical. They make absolutely, you know, they're, you know, and I, 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 I'm willing to bet Having been a Vatican II sect member... Oh, and by the way, for you Protestants out there, I was also a Protestant. I know what I speak. Um, but for you Vatican II sect members, Steubenville is actually famous... And once again, I'm speaking as a former member. Steubenville is famous... For in its theology department, they've got a group of professors that are known as neotomists. Now, I want you to think about this. Just put aside, just put aside your prejudices. Put aside the fact that I'm taking a chainsaw to your sacred cows. Put that aside and just give me a fair listen here. Prior to Vatican II, prior to Vatican II, was there any such a thing as a neo-Thomist? You and I, well, if you're Vatican II, you may not know it. Um, the last pre-Vatican II Thomist, actual Thomist, and I'm looking up his name, 
because he's a Frenchman. He's actually rather famous uh, within the Vatican II sect because basically, um, well, the modernists made up the Vatican II sect and the modernists absolutely hated going up against him. He was so a formidable theologian and philosopher. Let me see if I can find the name of the author. I'm pretty sure I can. Pretty sure I can find it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Don't even need to do it. His name is Father Garagru Lagrange. He was the foremost Thomist of pre-Vatican II. Of his time. He was the foremost. If I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken. He might have actually, I, I know he taught at the, at a Dominican seminary. He was a professor there. And the modernists absolutely hated and feared him. Because he was, he, 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 he could take apart. He could take them apart without even trying. But I, I've done enough studying that there was no such thing prior to Vatican II as a Neotomist. Either, as a matter of fact, Pope Leo XIII, one of his first acts as Pope was to reintroduce Thomist theology and philosophy into the seminaries because after the Protestant revolt, it more or less got neglected and forgotten about. So, there was no such thing. And just to clarify for my younger audience, anyone who puts the prefix neo in front of whatever title, you know, neo-reactionary, neo-Thomist, neo-conservative, neo-liberal, Although that's kind of a, uh, the neoliberal is kind of a uh, contradiction in terms, but that means they're fake. They are, they are fake. They are not the real thing. So the Thomism that's being taught in, in Steubenville, Ohio, is not actual Thomism as taught by Father Garagru Lagrange. Don't have to like it, you know. Um, you know, um, you can tune me out all you want to, you know. And that's another thing that we as modernists do too. We think that by denying the truth or ignoring the truth, that that doesn't that somehow that invalidates the truth. It doesn't. It does not invalidate the truth. You 
Now, you can deny it. You can ignore it. Eventually, the truth, and this is part of God's law, the divine, uh, the, 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 the divine truth is going to kick you in the head when you refuse to re acknowledge God's reality. So, I kind of got, I kind of went off on a rail there, and I've got approximately 20 minutes, but I'm going to try to wrap this up before an hour. So, to not be a modernist, which, once again, I'm going to stress, I'm not talking politics. I'm, I'm not talking about the society around you. Is to live your faith sincerely and zealously. And I've stated ad nauseum on this podcast. St. Paul, and I think it was in the Epistle to Corinthians, probably 1 Corinthians if I'm not mistaken, we are of the world but not part of it, meaning our way of acting, our way of speaking, our thought processes, our way of doing things set us apart even though, even though we are, um, you know, we're in the same society, we by by those things that I just listed, that sets us apart. And this is what St. Paul meant. Now, I don't remember what epistle this is, or from. Said, by the transformation of your mind. And I wish I could remember the full quote. But what he's saying there is, is that we should allow God's divine truth to transform our minds. Meaning, once we actually become real Catholics, our way of thinking, now, personally, I think this is part of spiritual growth. Unless God gives you the grace, it's not going to happen overnight. But your way of thinking should change at whatever pace God, God's divine providence wants it to happen. It should change. Your priorities should change. Your philosophy should change. Everything about you should change. And um, oh, Thank you, Lord Jesus. I wish I had this quote handy. I have it on my Pinterest page. For those of you who don't know, on my podcast uh, notes, the notes for my podcast, not this episode, I have all my social media contact information. But on my social media, I'm sorry, on my Pinterest page, I have a quote from C.K. Chesterton which states that to become, and you got to remember, he was writing in the 1920s. 
So the modernists, although they had infiltrated and pretty much were swimming in the underground of the Catholic Church, had not actively taken over yet. The C.K. Chesterton, Chesterton quote I have on my Pinterest page states, to become Catholic is to change your way of thinking and living. Now that I think about it, I'm going to put that in my show notes. So, to, to not be a modernist is to be faithful and zealous and sincere in your practice of the true Catholic religion. Now, a lot of people may not like what I'm about ready to say. It's the truth, though. If you consider yourself to be a true Catholic, and I'm talking set of a contest, then you should not be indistinguishable from your friends and your neighbors. You should not be indistinguishable. You should stick out like a sore thumb. Now, what I mean by this is, you know, you don't need to wear a nun's habit. You don't need to wear a monk's robe or a priest's collar to set yourself apart. Your behavior, your words, and your um, actions should set you apart. Well, I think I covered that pretty well. Um... I hope and pray that you got something out of this. I really do. I really do. Because this, especially for set of a contest, um, I feel that this is like a very timely message. Um, Take this for what it's worth. I do care about you guys as, as much as a flawed, failed human being can. I am praying for you. I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. Take that for what it's worth. In closing, thank you for listening. Have a good day. God bless you. Bye-bye.